The information contained in this podcast is an expression of opinion and does not constitute investment advice. This is the Gold Money Podcast with Dominic Frisby, keeping you up to date with expert opinion on precious metals and the markets. Hello and welcome to the Gold Money Podcast with me, Dominic Frisby. It is February the 6th and in today's programme I'm talking to Ian Gordon. Ian was born into an English military family but he's been based in Canada for some 45 years now. He's worked in the financial markets as a broker and an analyst for over 30 years and he's one of the foremost proponents of long wave theory, of Kondratiev theory. Ian, it's a pleasure to be talking to you once again. Um, you've been saying for some time now that there are four seasons to the long wave cycle and we're very much in winter. Are you still standing by that? I certainly am, uh, Dominic. Uh, this winter has been extended uh, up to this point in time uh, by the central banks uh, printing copious amounts of money and... Uh, so, but they really haven't got to the crux of the problem that uh, it occurs at the onset of winter, which is uh, eliminating or eliminating most of the massive amount of debt that's been built into the economy during the previous three seasons of the long wave, and particularly during the autumn. Very good. And so even though, I don't know, stock markets are, are nearing, or some of them, certainly not the Canadian markets, but the, the S&P and the FTSE are closing down on their all-time highs. Of course, the stock market and the economy are two very different beasts. But um, a central banker might say, well, actually, printing's worked. Look at the stock market. Well, that's right. It's worked up to this point in time. In fact, effectively, what, we've, what we're seeing is... Um, Three uh, highs in the in the winter bear market. Uh, the the initial high was in 2000 when the Dow hit 11,750. Secondary peak was made in October 2007 when the Dow hit 14,200, and now we're making a third peak. And interspersed between those peaks, there's been some a fairly vicious downside action. And we feel that when this ultimate peak is made, and it could be significantly higher than the 14,200, uh, when that peak is made, w the winter bear market will uh, cannot be held back any longer. And, uh, uh, you know, we're a big component of markets being uh, effectively uh, uh, sort of... Uh, managed by natural law and what we've seen here is uh, uh, man is uh, being, uh, central banks have been trying to uh, impose their own will on the natural way of the markets and so far they've been successful uh, but we feel that that success is going to be uh, completely destroyed in the in the coming uh, down uh, once, the, once this new peak has been made and we have a target for the Dow uh, of 1,000 points, the ultimate bear market bottom. And, and we picked that level simply because uh, this winter bear market is akin to the winter bear market of 1929-32. Um, and that bear market lost 90% of it, 
of the Dow's value. Um, and we picked a thousand simply because a thousand was a very strong resistance point. Initially, a thousand was hit in uh, two, uh, sorry, 1966, and it took 12 attempts for the Dow to penetrate a thousand and move on, and, and it finally did that in uh, late in 1982. So uh, that resistance point now becomes support. So, and again, we're looking at a you know, something akin to the 90% loss that was encountered between 1929 and 32. So 1,000 seems to be a real, realistic number for a winter bear market. Now, 1,000 on the Dow, that, uh, that's a hell of a big target. That's a loss of, goodness knows, more than 90%, 95% from here. You spoke about natural law there, Ian. And if, if natural law is, is the law of nature and positive law, I think it's referred to in philosophical terms, it's the law of man where we try to assert our own laws on the law of nature. Fiat money is very much the, a positive law, and gold, which is, of course, world supply grows at the same rate as uh, population growth, is very much, an, very much a natural law. I can't see how measured in an artificial form of money, how in, in positive money terms, the Dow is going to get to a thousand points. It's just... It, it's with money printing and everything else. I just cannot see it happening. I can see it doing the equivalent in gold terms. In fact, we're not far away. I think the Dow to gold ratio is what six or seven, and it might ultimately go back to one or two. But in in fiat money terms, you think the Dow is going to go to a thousand points? Well, I think actually what we're going to see is the destruction of fiat money and uh, the return to the to natural money and uh, uh, gold. So. Um, in that destruction of fiat money, and we've never seen a fiat money system that has ever survived. And in fact, what we're seeing is the the central banks are trying to maintain the fiat system by uh, frantically printing even more of it. And that's uh, if we go back in history and look at some previous fiat money experiences, that the response of the governments of, of in those times, such as the John Law. Uh, fiat scheme or the assignat scheme of revolutionary France, you can see that when the thing starts to uh, collapse, when the monetary system starts to collapse and all confidence in that system uh, basically is lost, the government's response is to continue to print even more of it. And we're, we're essentially seeing that now, but I'm sure that uh, uh, eventually we're going to return to a, a, a natural money such as gold and it's possibly going to happen, I would suspect, in China. You know, uh, essentially the the world's monetary system is is governed by generally governed by the largest creditor nation, and um, the U.S. has lost that distinction, lost that distinction a long time ago. And China is amassing uh, as much gold as she can get her hands on, and I think eventually we'll see the renminbi tied to gold. Um, you say you say that no. If you look at history, no fiat system has ever survived. Um, but if you look at say the pound, you know obviously it was it was tied to gold for a long period. It was you know it was revalued several times within that period, and we had one great revaluation in seventeen, ooh, sixteen, I think it was. We had another in eighteen sixteen. Uh, and then, of course, we came off the gold standard in 1914, then we went back on it in 1925 and came off it in 1931. 
But if you, if you look at the pound, of course it keeps losing purchasing power over time, but it still survived. Yeah, it, it has survived, but I, I mean, I, I suspect that it, it might still survive, but eventually what's going to happen is that the pound is going to be forced back to uh, basically be on a gold standard system because China's going to call the shots in this game and uh, if they remember it gets tied to gold and I'm, I'm pretty confident that that is going to happen because of the frantic amount of gold that China is amassing at this time. Um, if that happens, it, it essentially forces every other country to follow suit because if they don't, then no one essentially wants to trade with those countries because they have no confidence in the money uh, in which they're being, for which you know their goods are being paid for. So you know, you can't have a you know an international monetary system has to evolve, but the the leadership has to come from the greatest, the, the largest creditor nation. And you know, when you go back and see that, um, you know, we uh, Britain went under a gold standard, actually, you were almost exactly right, in, in 1717, and effectively came off that standard at the onset of the First World War in 1914, went back on a quasi-gold standard system in 1926, and then, of course, um, went off that system in 1931, and the whole world monetary system effectively collapsed between 1931 and 33. Um, and world trade essentially collapsed and, and lost uh, 75%, dropped by 75% during that period because there was no confidence in anybody's money uh, except maybe the dollar. But the, but the U.S. had also gone off the gold exchange standard system in 1933. So um, effectively, the world's been on a pure fiat money system uh, since 1933, but one could argue it effectively since 1914. Yeah. And now, how do you explain, uh, you know, uh, most of the listeners to this show are gold bugs, we're very pro-gold, and, you know, we've got stock markets, as I say, closing down on their all-time highs. Gold, on the other hand, has been a bit of a dog uh, over the last 18 months or so. Uh, it's been flat at best, and gold shares have been utter dogs. Um, how how do you explain that? Well, actually, I think it's quite simple to explain, um, and we explain it, you know, in our work on, in the long wave. Effectively, uh, gold and the general stock market are always working opposite to each other. So when uh, people are invested and in, in pushing their money into the general stock market. There's no interest in gold because paper is gaining in value and people, more and more people are going into the paper assets. But uh, when the, that system starts to collapse, people move out of those paper assets and go to gold because, because they see it as a safe haven. And, you know, you can actually do this, effectively measure this quite well by using the Dow Gold ratios, the value of the Dow Jones Industrials divided by the value of an ounce of gold. And you'll see that during the long wave seasons that that ratio fluctuates from a very low point, uh, one to one, to a very high point. So when, when the Dow, so 
for instance, the high point has reached in that ratio at the end of 1966, and that happens to be the end of spring. Well, in spring, stocks do very well because uh, the economy is starting to sort of uh, gather momentum during the spring after the uh, devastating winter. And then in the summer, uh, gold does very well and stocks don't do well. Summer is always a period in the cycle. Uh, it's the inflationary period in the cycle because there's always been a war that's been financed by money printing, so you've had inflation in the summer. And the first cycle, it was the War of 1812. The second cycle, it was the U.S. Civil War. The third was uh, the First World War, and the fourth was the Vietnam War. So uh, you had this uh, massive money printing to finance the war, and you have a big inflation during the summer, so gold performs very well. So the ratio at the end of summer in 1980 reaches a one-to-one ratio. Gold and the Dow are valued essentially at the same. And then in the autumn, that's always the period of the biggest bull market in stocks, bonds, and real estate. Uh, you can go back, and our autumn started in 1982 when the Dow bottomed at 777 and completed in, in 2000 when the Dow hit 11,750. Uh, in July of 1999, the ratio, the Dow Gold ratio, was almost 44 to 1. In other words, it took 44 ounces to buy the Dow Jones Industrials. From that peak, even though the Dow is at, um, uh, you know, closing in on an all-time high, we're about 7.5. We've gone from 44 down to about 7.5 to 1. And we're going to go down to an extreme low ratio. And I believe that ratio is going to be lower than the one-to-one that we've experienced twice before in this, in the, in this ratio measurement, uh, simply because I do have a price of 1,000 on the Dow, but I, t- I expect that gold will be at least $4,000 an ounce, so it'll be a quarter to one. And that's the kind of... Uh, but you can see these changes in the ratio values always seem to change at the conclusion of the seasons, the long-wave seasons. So, um, okay, so we're in a kind of manipulated winter, uh, if you like. What, what, what should be, we be doing with our money now? Where should we be putting it? Well, I think, you know, it's where I've, where, certainly where I put my money and where my money's been since 1999 is effectively in gold, and, and therefore the results have been... Uh, uh, pretty good by being in that, you know, in that medium. So both in the gold stocks and in, in gold. Yes, we've, we've been in a, a period, you know, that's not been good for gold and gold and investments in gold. But, uh, we think that once the Dow peaks and we suspect it's going to happen, um, probably, you know, no later than end of March, beginning of April of this year, that once that Dow peaks and starts to come off, we'll see the move returning to gold and out of stocks and people going back to gold and to the gold equities because we can go back to the last winter and see exactly the same thing happened. That the, Once the Dow started to come off, the move to gold equity and to gold itself uh, was enormous. I mean, you can just see it by the amount of capital that flowed into the gold mining industry at that time uh, simply 
you know, the number of mines that were discovered uh, in Canada and uh, all along the Abitibi Greenstone Belt in Ontario and Quebec, in British Columbia, uh, and also in the U.S. There were 9,000, according to the U.S. Bureau of Mines, there were 9,000 operating gold mines in the United States in 1940. So that meant that capital was flowing almost exclusively to the, to the gold mining industry. People wanted gold. How, do you know and, how many uh, operating we, mines there are now? In the U.S.? Yeah. Oh, I would say, you know, you'd be lucky to uh, probably, you'd be lucky to see 500. Yeah. So that's the, 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 and it's the same. I mean, if you look, the number of mines that were discovered and, and put into operation in Canada in the, in the 30s, it was enormous. I've got to actually have a list of them. Uh, I haven't counted them that list, but you can just see that all these discoveries, like a Cisco's mine that's now operating was discovered in 1933, put into operation, the Melatic mine. Yeah. You know, that um, a company that I like called Temex, its mine was put into, it had three mine, operating mines on one of its properties, the Whitney property, and all three mines were put into, into operation in the 1930s. It's a wonderful thought, this, this incredible bull market in gold stocks that, that, uh, that happened in the 1930s and, you know, many gold investors are hoping is going to happen again. Um, what about if I suggest to you, Ian, that it's already happened? Um, you know, if a lot of people look at uh, Homestake in the 1930s and observe the huge gains that were made, but if you plot a chart of the Huey uh, or GDX, the major gold stock ETF, um, uh, from... 2001 to say 2007 or 2010 and uh, you 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 plot that same chart over homestake in the 1930s starting in 1929 you've got what one is a virtual mirror of the other have we not already had the great move in gold stocks or is what's coming just gonna dazzle us all to the upside well there's you know i think we've we've got a you know, what we're seeing really is the collapse of paper. So the collapse of paper assets, we're going to see the collapse of paper money. So the move to gold is going to be enormous. Now, the only issue that I have with all of, with this collapse is how do uh, stock markets function uh, during a, a monetary collapse when there's no, no absolutely no, no faith in paper money anymore? So how do, you know, that's the only kind of issue that I can't get my head around at the moment and sort of saying, well, if the paper money system collapses because no one have any faith, have any faith in it, then how does the stock market function? Even how does a gold company that has gold in the ground or is producing gold, you know, you know, how does it get paid for that production, you know, in the in monetary system? that is, is effectively in a state of collapse. And, and this is an issue that, for me anyway, you know, is of paramount importance because uh, uh, I'm not sure how the system, and you know, in John Law's time, the Mississippi uh, scheme, the stock market, big hoopla in the, in the, in, in the in the stocks in France in the 1720s in the Mississippi stock. 
um, that continued to, even though the paper money system collapsed, um, the, the stock market actually continued to function because once the collapses happened, uh, the French returned to a gold silver standard. So, uh, but that was almost, that was immediate. In other words, the collapse was one day and the next day we're back on a gold silver standard. I'm not sure how long this collapse is going to take and, you know, because if, if it's China that leads the return to gold, uh, then what does the United States, how long does it take the United States to come back on a gold standard system? It's, um, this is very much akin to the collapse of the monetary system in the 1930s, and of course that was the, the previous long wave winter, but uh, that collapse was a gold standards or a gold exchange standard system and a collapse out of gold into paper. Now we're seeing a collapse out of paper back to gold. Is it possible that it doesn't collapse, that we just muddle through? I just don't think that's possible because paper money is debt money and effectively what we've done now, we've built, built so much debt into the, into the world economy, economies. I mean, I think the total world debt is in excess of $200 trillion. It just doesn't seem to me that we can continue to manufacture debt ad infinitum. Okay, you've uh, spoken about a peaking Dow uh, around about March and April um, and then, uh, uh, and then in, after that, a, f a fast rising, um, or I should say, a fast falling down to gold ratio. Um, tell us about your time frame for the rest of the unfolding of winter. I mean, obviously, it's totally, uh, you know, you don't have a crystal ball, but what, have you got a kind of uh, a model that you're working off? A projection? Well, I think once the, once the collapse happens, it's, it's going to be uh, pretty dramatic and, and you know, and and much like, if you go back to the last long-wave winter, the total collapse, the effective worst of the collapse in the United States was between, you know, happened between 1929 and 33. Um, during that period of time, the Dow had lost 90% of its value. GDP in the United States had collapsed by 45%. Unemployment was at 25%. Um, so... All these things happen in a very short order. Uh, now, you know, we've been, we've been in this, in this winter for 13 years. The Federal Reserve, you know, since the first peak in, in 2000 in the Dow. And the Federal Reserve has kept the thing going by printing copious amounts of money. And that's really what's keeping the stock market going because the banks are, are receiving courtesy of the Federal Reserve a trillion dollars a year. And what are they going to do to it? There's not too many places they want to lend it out to because uh, they've been bitten on that. So they're speculating in the markets with all this cash that the Federal Reserve is making available to them. But once a collapse happens, uh, you know, if you go back to 2007 and see the collapse that uh, happened around, you know, Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers, that 2007, you went from 14,200 to effectively effectively 6,500 on the Dow by March 2009. That was a big drop, and that happened over a period of, of well, less than two years. So once these collapses happen, the panic starts to set in, and they happen. They go very quickly. Okay, and I've got uh, two, two last questions for you. Um, the first is, one of the problems that I have with cycles work in general is that looking back, uh, 
uh, it's very easy to kind of look back at events in history and then kind of attach some kind of cycle to them, whether it's the four-year cycle or a Kondratiev cycle or whatever, whatever you know, the 14-year property cycle, whatever cycle it is that you're working with. But in terms of using past cycles to project forward, you know, particularly if you're dealing with something as big as, as a 60-year Kondratiev cycle, it's very difficult to invest off. They're, they become a bit arbitrary and, and, and they, they just often don't work. Well, you know, Dominic, I think the, uh, our understanding of the Kondratiev cycle has worked. I mean, uh, we know we've been able to indicate uh, quite effectively how to pinpoint the season changes in the cycle. And if you, as I did, went into gold in 2000 or at that peak when the Dow Jones, the Dow Gold Ratio was at 44 to 1 in July 1999. If you'd turned your assets to gold and moved out of the Dow, you would have effectively, and I have effectively, made uh, uh, good money by making that decision. Um, you know, I, I'm on record showing my portfolio performance since 1999 has been uh, an average annual rate of return has been 47% since that time. I've had some horrendous losses, but overall that's what I've been able to gain by being invested in, the, in gold stocks. So um, I think 2010 I lost 53%, but again, the overall performance has been 47% since that time. So I think, you know, if you really understand this cycle, and I believe that, you know, I'd like to credit myself for saying, yes, I do, uh, you can make good investment decisions and investment decisions that are going to make you money. And so let me come back to that question then, Ian. You know, where should we invest our money now? Where are we at the, at the cycle point now? Should we be buying gold now or should we wait? Or, you know, what, what about the people who, who weren't there in 1999? Well, of course, you know, again, we're looking at the, you know, we're measuring everything by that dark gold ratio. So the ratio is, um, you know, let's say seven and a half. I haven't figured it out exactly. We put it on our website every day, but I think it's about seven and a half to one. Uh, we're saying that that ratio is going to come down to an extreme low. And so if it's going to be one to one, and I, as I said, I believe it's going to be a quarter to one, uh, yes, you should still, there's still a lot of upside by being invested both in the physical gold and in the gold equities. Great stuff. And my last question to you, Ian, if you were to recommend one piece of work on, on cycle theory and long-wave cycles uh, and investing based on these things, wh which book would you recommend? <laughs> you know, I, I hate to be... So I, I think that the, the best place you could be is on our website. Um, simply because I really believe that we've uh, gone way beyond anything that Nikolai Kondratiev ever envisaged. Um, and so, and, and you know, we've had the advantage of time. His, he wrote his uh, work in, in the mid-1920s, so we've had, you know, 90 years beyond Nikolai Kondratiev to sort of really piece the thing together. So, 
There are a lot of writings on my on on my website. It's a free website, uh, longwavegroup.com, and I think that uh, when people look, there's a, a, a circular chart that I produce. It is a one page. has a lot of information on that circular chart, but it's available to readers on on the long wave to sort of see and understand almost on one page the entire long wave cycle. So I, I, I don't know. I haven't written a book about it, but I, I think pretty well, you know, I wrote a piece in 2007, which I said, this is it. That was the title of the piece, and I basically said the whole the banking system is going to collapse here, the stock market is going to collapse here, and we published that in November 2007. So... I think there's a lot of stuff there on the website that uh, people can learn uh, about the long wave, you know, by going back and looking at some of the past writings and also looking at uh, uh, the uh, significant number of charts that we have available to to the readers. Very good. And the website address is? Uh, Longwavegroup.com. Longwavegroup.com. And uh, there are also some excellent graphics on there as well. Ian Gordon, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thanks very much for coming on the show once again. Hopefully we'll talk to you in maybe six months or a year. And uh, in the meantime, keep well, look after yourself, and, and thanks uh, for putting up with some uh, difficult questions from yours truly. Well, thank you very much for having me, Dominic. My pleasure. Ian Gordon, longwavegroup.com is the website. Subscribe to the Gold Money newsletter at www.goldmoney.com to receive email updates on new articles, videos, and iTunes podcasts from our Gold Research section. Gold Money.